All right, we'll be in Luke chapter 13 today, uh, verses 1 through 9. I want to share just a couple of things that, uh, that's happening in the church here that's exciting. Uh, life groups are starting up today, and normally this would be our fifth Sunday fellowship or fifth Sunday singing tonight, but we'll talk about that here in just a second. But we're going to start with life groups today. Life groups are times where we just meet in homes afterwards and talk about okay, what did the lesson, what was the lesson today, and how did it impact you. And if you have, don't know what life groups are, or you would like to participate in one, Rob Robinson is there, and you can catch him, and he will uh, point you in the right direction. Uh, there's uh, lots of good food, and, and it's great when you can sit around a table with food and share the message of God. There's, uh, there's relationships, and there's, there's discussions that happen that don't happen any other times. And, and so I really encourage you to participate with that. And so next week, on October 6th, we're going to have our fifth Sunday singing. I know it's not on the fifth Sunday, but it, we're, 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 we're getting wild and crazy here, okay? You know, amazing stuff here. And so uh, Luke Barnett, who has been here before, is uh, coming and he's going to do some song leader training with our r- Sunday morning rotation of song leaders. And, and how that started, there was a, here a few months ago, one of our song leaders came in and said, hey, there's a song leading seminar I would love to go to and I'd love to participate in that. Uh, what, what, how do I go about doing that? But it's about six grand to do it. It's really, you know, quite a bit. And so we thought, okay, we have a connection with one of the instructors at that seminar. Why don't we see if he will come and work just with our with our song leaders, and our song leaders can teach others. And so we we talked to Luke, and he said, Yeah, I'd love to come. That sounds great. I, you know, I'll, here's my dates that'll work. And and so he's going to spend some on Friday and then Saturday, just giving some coaching with our song leaders. And then with the idea of they'll be able to, to do that with others as well. And, and so after today, uh, Cody will never miss pitch a song again. Uh, he's going to have all this coaching and stuff. No, I'm just messing with Cody. That's great. But that's you know, something, if I can share this, and I think it's, it's really good. And I told Cody this in some way just a second ago. I said, hey, if you pitched something wrong, you did exactly right. You just said, hey, well, let me do that again. But isn't Cody's joy and excitement infectious? I mean, that's great. That's the stuff there. That's great. Keep doing that, Cody. That's great. And, uh, and that's a, a great blessing for all of us as we can, we can sing together uh, the, the, the great praises of God. All right, we're going to continue on with Luke chapter 13 this morning. But I want to talk about a phenomenon that happens. And I've seen this in the lives of others. I'm experienced. I've seen it in, in, uh, in my own life, and, and I know it well. But we as people have a tendency to to not, at times, really want to deal with what the core issue is if it gets too close to something that's, that's valuable to us. Let me give you an example. I remember sitting and watching in interaction with, with a mother and child once. This child was pretty small, and, and mom was, was correcting this child for something he had done and said, and you can't act like that, can't do that. And the little boy said, wow, look at that red car over there. How many of you have done something like that at some point in time? In all honesty, yeah. We have those moments where something might be getting a little too close to what's really happened in our lives, and we think, oh man, I've got to change the subject, and I better do it fast. You see Jesus with a Samaritan woman do that. Jesus is at that well, just below Mount Gerizim, with that Samaritan woman. And she's talking, he's talking, they're going back and forth about Jesus says, whoever drinks what I give, will never go thirsty again. She says, well, that sounds great to me. I wouldn't have to come back here uh, and, and draw water all the time. You know, this would be a whole lot better situation. And they're going back and forth, and, and, uh, and Jesus says, uh, no, you, you, 
had five husbands. The person you're now with is not your husband. And you notice her response is, you Jews claim that we should worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans worship here on Mount Gerizim. It doesn't have anything to do with what Jesus just said. But what she's doing is saying, ooh, that's a little bit too close. I don't think I want to deal with that discussion. Hmm, let's talk about, let's throw the big political hot button right in the middle of this discussion right now because hopefully it takes the, the heat off of me because that's just a little bit too close. And we as people tend to do that is sometimes when, when we get into God's Word or we have a friend that, that shares something with us that just gets a little too close to home, we put up walls, we respond... In, in ways that, that just don't, nope, I don't want to go there, don't want to hear this, la, 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 la. I'm just, I'm not okay with that. And so we're going to see is really that's what happens today in Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start reading there. But remember, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has spent a bunch of time saying, the kingdom of God is not about worrying about stuff. It's not about trying to get rich. It's not about trying to be like the religious leaders. In fact, you should be courageous. kingdom of heaven is not all that stuff. What the kingdom of heaven is, is getting to work submitting to God and doing so right now. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And listen to what happens here next. After Jesus just tells them, it's decision time. It's time to follow me. In chapter 13, verse 1, he says, Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, so they share this sad story here but right on the tails of Jesus sharing some really convicting things. So it appears to me what they're saying is, as Jesus says, you've got a choice. You've got to follow me. There's sacrifices. But you've got to follow me, and you've got to decide to follow me. And sooner is better than later. Oh, Jesus, did you hear about, oh, man, this is a terrible deal. Pilate slaughtered those Galileans when they were offering sacrifices. Isn't that a terrible thing? Isn't that awful? Isn't Pilate horrible? And this was not uncommon for Pilate. He had done the same sort of thing with the Samaritans. And this is written in outside of Scripture. Uh, one of the historians at the time writes about it. Where there's a bunch of Samaritans that decided they were going to go up Mount Gerizim and they were going to go up to the top and, and they were going to worship. And Pilate met them there and, and executed several of them and took a bunch more prisoners. So this fits with his character. And Pilate is the Roman governor that eventually uh, gives the, the okay to execute Jesus. But this is, this is what he did, apparently, is that he, there were some Galileans that were offering sacrifices and Pilate executed them while they were worshiping and it mixes the blood with their sacrifices and people saying, oh, isn't that terrible? Isn't that awful? And so if we take a time out, how do you think Jesus might respond to this? I think maybe my first reaction would be, oh, yeah, that's terrible. I can't believe Pilate would do something like that. Isn't Pilate awful? Isn't Pilate terrible? But look what he says. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will, too will all perish. Of, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And so Jesus' response here is, Okay, <laughs> they weren't any less guilty then you, if you don't repent, you will be destroyed as well. Because the real issue here, the real issue that Jesus wants to get at is Galilee and Judea around Jerusalem where this tower fell and there was people that were killed. Those are the stories that we may talk about. Look at how bad Pilate is. Look at this tower that fell that killed people. Isn't Oh man, that's the, that's the stuff of the news. Those are the things that, that we're sure talking about. But Jesus says that's really not the issue. The real issue that we need to talk about right now 
is whether people are living in Galilee or whether people are living in Jerusalem, they are not repentant and they're not following me. And if they're not repentant, destruction is coming to them as well. That's the real issue that we need to talk about. And so he continues on, he tells a parable here. I'll start reading in verse 6. He says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find it any. He said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And this concludes this long discussion that Jesus has here. And this parable goes something like this. There's a fig tree that doesn't produce fruit. Now, how many of you have fig trees? If you do, I'm impressed, okay? Yeah, I checked. There are some varieties that are hardy enough to get down to zone six. And we are what? Four. Yeah, we're zone four. They get down to zone six, but they don't really thrive until a zone eight. And so, like... San Diego, Los Angeles, Southern California kind of thing. So they're just not, they don't, they don't grow very much here. How many of you have eaten a fresh fig? Anybody? It's phenomenal. Pick it off a tree and eat it. It is, it's nothing like a fig newton, I figured out. Okay? It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing fruit that is sweet, that is just, just to eat. And so Jesus paints this picture of, there's a fig tree that is in this vineyard and and it is producing no figs. And so the problem is, if there's a fig tree that's in this vineyard that's producing no figs, it's taking up soil. It's taking up space because that could be used for any number of other things to be grown there. And so the owner comes, the caretaker says, hey, let's get rid of this tree. It's taking up space. The caretaker says, wait, I'm impatient. We've got three years here. Let me dig around it. Let me to give it a chance to produce. I'll, I'll dig around it, I'll put fertilizer in, and if it doesn't produce next year, then fine. Let's cut it down. And if it doesn't produce, we're going to destroy it. That's what's going to happen. And that is Jesus' parallel there. And so for the people that are listening to this, I wonder what types of things are going through their mind. And we're going to walk through some of it. They understood very clearly that Jesus is saying for them to repent. Just after he said, people in Galilee, people in Jerusalem, the real issue is they're not following me. The real issue is they're not repentant. Okay? And so just like this fig tree that has been there, that is taking up soil, that is producing no fruit, that is what you guys are like. And unless you repent and produce fruit, you are going to be eliminated. You're going to be punished. There's judgment that is coming. And so think about what that would have looked like. And, and there's a, a few scriptures up here that you can look at at a different time. You can write these down. One is from Jeremiah 24, 1 through 10. And this is, there's several times I look back that Israel is referred to as a fig tree. And so this isn't some analogy that Jesus just pulled out of the air and used there. They were very familiar with Jeremiah 24, where Jeremiah says, here's, here's two basketfuls of figs. One is, is wonderful and it's full of Great fruit, and it's, and it's great. Here is others' fruit that is, that is rotten, that cannot be eaten. And people are going to be blessed by the fruit that they produce. That's his point there, is this matters. All this matters. And if you're not producing good fruit, then you're going to be eliminated. And we see that happen, as with the people that Jeremiah is talking about. Or Luke chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. This is where John the Baptist says, 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so repentance, if we repent, which means to change our hearts and minds, to go towards God instead of away from God, when we decide to repent and, and see sin for what it is, is it's destructive tendencies and actions in our lives that don't honor God, that, that take us far away from God. If we do those things, if we produce those, that, that type of thing in our life, then what happens is the fruit that we produce is going to be ugly and evil as well. And so John the Baptist, that was what his, his big message was, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repent, and then there's going to be great fruit that's going to be coming uh, from your life. If we look at John, or Luke chapter 6, this is where Jesus talks about, um, in the Sermon on the Plain, he says, there's some that, out of the, the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we say things that hurt and, and that are ugly, that are destructive for people, that means that there's bad fruit coming out of our heart. That means that's what's really going on inside of us. Or if we produce really good fruit, that means there's good stuff inside of us. So watch the fruit. Watch what's being produced in your life. If it's good, then, then that's great. If it's, if it's destruction, then, then you need to take a look at what's going on in, inside yourself. And so there's been a lot of discussion already just in Luke about producing good fruit. But I wonder, if I think ahead, as Jesus is, tells this parable regarding the people of Jerusalem and the people of Galilee, what if, in the years to come, this would have happened? Jesus goes into Jerusalem and participates in the Last Supper. And there are people that welcome him in there. They lay the, the palm fronds down there, and Jesus rides in on a, on a donkey as, as a, a great conquering king. And the people are excited, and, and they're thrilled about this. And the religious leaders do their normal thing. They, they fight Jesus. They, they, they try to catch him in what he's saying. They're trying to kill him, trying to execute him. And they bring him to trial. They, they, they put him on, uh, they, they incite Pilate against him. And once the whips start flying, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests at that point in time, step out and say, wait a minute here. We have done wrong. Jesus is innocent. We are sinful. We have fallen short of what God wants us to be and we have led the people of Israel in a wrong direction. And we are leading the charge and we repent right now. Sanhedrin, you did wrong, we did wrong by condemning Jesus to death. That was the wrong thing to do. And just imagine there's quiet. And one by one, the rest of the religious leaders come forward and say, you're right, we repent, we've done wrong. God knew that wasn't going to happen. But isn't that what Jesus is saying? You've got one more chance. It's not going to go well if there's not repentance. Or imagine at Pentecost, when all those 3,000 people are baptized there at that point in time. Just imagine if the religious leaders, Annas and Caiaphas, come forward and with many others and say, you're right, we executed Jesus. He raised from the dead. That was God's plan and right now, we as Jerusalem are going to do what Nineveh did years ago. We're going to replant, re, repent, replant, that's not a word. But we're going to repent in sackcloth and ashes. And maybe, maybe God will forgive us and he will not bring the disaster on us that he has promised. 
Can you imagine how the world would have been different? But unfortunately, Satan is alive and active. And what happened is about 40 years approximately after Jesus was, was executed and he raised and, and he, he went back to heaven, what happened is the religious leaders and the Sanhedrin got worse and worse and worse and worse and continued to become more and more and more evil. And what happened, about 40 years later, God says, all right, enough. And the Romans come in, they walk through, march through Galilee, destroy the Jewish army there, come down to Jerusalem, lay siege to the city, destroy the city. Titus's Roman legionaries get out of control. He was, he was going to preserve the temple because it was beautiful, it was amazing. They get out of control and they just burn it, the Roman legionaries. And Titus actually goes in to the temple and looks around to see what it looked like before it burned down around him and got out. And people are executed, and from that point in time, things are never the same for the Jewish nation. And, and I have to think that about the time Luke was writing, either Jerusalem has been destroyed or is going to be destroyed, and it's pretty evident that this is what's going to happen. And, and the people are hearing this message thinking, okay, Jesus gave him a chance. Jesus gave us a chance. He was patient. He told us that it was coming. And yet we continue to pursue evil, we continue to pursue wrong, and here's the judgment that comes. And even Josephus didn't believe in Jesus at all, as far as we know. He was a, a Roman, or excuse me, he was a Jewish military commander that became a historian, and, and the Romans let him write the history of the Jews. When Jerusalem was destroyed, he said, yeah, we deserved this. We definitely deserved this. We had become so evil that we deserved everything that we got a bad deal. And so you think about this as Jesus is giving these, the Jews saying, look, you're not producing fruit, producing bad stuff. I'm going to give you another shot. But destruction is coming if there's not repentance. So for us, what's the message for us? Jesus is calling us of all the distractions we have out there, all the things that we can invest our life in, all the things that we can think about, is to be people of repentance that change our hearts and minds and say, I am God's no matter what anybody else does, no matter what else happens around me. I am God's and I'm going to run towards God and I'm going to try to run away from evil and pursue, and pursue and push that away and produce fruit, as John the Baptist says, in keeping with righteousness. So I'm going to read a few scriptures here that talk about producing fruit. And then I'm going to share a few more things, examples. And then um, we can uh, have some things to ponder, all of us. What does it mean to produce fruit? Because that's it. If, if Jesus gives this analogy of this tree that does not produce fruit and says, don't do that, because judgment's coming if you're not producing fruit. So what does producing fruit look like? Look at John chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. I have these scriptures up here. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. That's part of bearing fruit, is loving one another. Is That's the fruit that, that, that is born when we are repentant and, and pursue God. Here's another one. But the fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So all of these things, when God's Spirit is living in us and working in us, these things flow out of us. 
Loving one another, even when, when uh, other people aren't lovable. Demonstrating joy, just, just the excitement that Jesus is coming back. Having peace in difficult circumstances. Forbearance or patience, long-suffering. Not, um, not freaking when things are uncomfortable, but just knowing that God is working somewhere. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things, we could talk about those. Each one of those could be a lesson. But the point is that when we produce good fruit, when we are repentant, then this is type of fruit starts flowing out of us when we interact with others. Here's another one, Ephesians 5, 11 or 8 through 11. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So here's a contrast, fruit and fruitless. So pursue things that, as it mentions there, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And pursue those things, because great fruit comes out when we pursue those things. Here's another one. In Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, this is beautiful. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Okay, we can't really relate to palm trees, but we can relate to cedars, right? There's some big cedars that we see around here. But they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. When we moved here uh, four years ago now, there was uh, we didn't we had one tree in our yard, a spruce tree that has survived and it continues to live. In the next few years after we bought our house, we bought uh, a few different trees and we planted them in different places and we're starting to get a little bit of fruit off of them. That's kind of how it works when you're young Christians, isn't it? You're planted and, and there's a little bit of fruit that spurts out here and there. We got um, I think it was. Uh, Six out of four uh, this year. So we're not giving up our day jobs, okay? All right. But we're getting a little bit of fruit that's coming out of that. And if God keeps us here for another decade, two decades, who knows? It would be great to see those trees continue to produce fruit that you can look at and say, wow, that's amazing. And we won't count the fruit on one hand, but not even on two hands and, and many more as those fruits continue to grow. But if something gets a hold of those, those trees, things can happen that creates, um, that, that kills that fruit, that destroys it, so that the tree just produces lots of branches, maybe some leaves, but doesn't produce any fruit. And the message here from this psalm is, look at these amazing trees that are out there that produce a lot of fruit. When people have God in the center of their life, they will still bear fruit even in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He's my rock and there is no wickedness in him. That's beautiful. And it's amazing when we can look at someone who has been a Christian for a long time and there's just fruit after fruit after fruit that is produced in their life because they have got this. Repentance leads to great fruit in our life. Here's something I found this week that I think it, it impacted me a lot when I read it. But just talking about bearing fruit and what that looks like. And we'll, talk, uh, we'll get closer to home here and we'll talk about what it looks like you know, closer w- with us as, as people here where we're at. But there was an article that I read and it, was a, it referenced a, a documentary that, is, that was recently uh, done on Christians in Iran. 
Now, Iran is not known for Christians. In fact, you, you hear uh, they're, they're known for exporting a, a militant type of Shia um, Islam, and, and, and that's sort of you know, here. Uh, when In our country, we don't tend to think warm fuzzies when you hear the word Iran. But listen to what it says. This is uh, saying that there is, uh, according to this article anyway, fastest growing church in the world is an underground persecuted Christian movement in a country known for exporting radical Islam terrorism. Iran. Here's some of the quotes from some of the people. He said, what if I told you the mosques are empty inside Iran? He continues, what if I told you no one follows in Islam instead of Iran? What? Would you believe me? That is exactly what's happening inside of Iran. God is moving powerfully inside of Iran. What if I told you the best evangelist for Jesus was the Ayatollah Khomeini? The Ayatollahs brought the face of true Islam to light. And people discovered it was a lie. After 40 years under Islamic law, a utopia according to them, they've had the worst devastation in the 5,000 year history of Iran. Things have just gotten worse. And listen to this. This is some of the that caught my, my head and heart as I was reading this. It's talking about these new believers that they don't own any property. They just quietly meet and, uh, and worship God and follow Jesus. Says we know, and part of this article mentions that that a large majority of, of these Christians in Iran are women, and so this is a lady speaking here. Says we know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us as a woman is rape us, and then they will beat us, and ultimately they will kill us. One believer said, "This is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices because I have this thought when I wake up that when I leave the door I might not come back." A leader of the Iranian underground church explains their goal is not planting churches, but rather just making disciples one by one. And check out this quote. Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples are engaged in a culture war, aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. This culture war all around us. Converts, disciples, culture is coming, go, whatever, I'm just going to follow Jesus. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God, and converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes, but disciples don't. And that's an interesting contrast there be, besides someone who's a convert or, or maybe a follower or, or an adherent as someone who is a disciple and so I think, what does being a disciple looks like, look like in our world? Or what does producing fruit uh, from repentance look like? And here's some things I thought about last night as I was just meditating and praying through this. Is that, think about this. Someone who produces fruit is someone who looks around their neighborhood and says, boy, the fields are white for harvest. I've got all these neighbors that don't know God, and I'm going to do something about it. So I'm going to find something kind that I can do for the people around me. And I'm going to share the message of Jesus with them in some form or fashion, first by example, and then by word, and I'm going to pray for them every day. And I'm going to keep a list of my neighbors, their names, their children's names, and I'm going to pray for them because I think God has a plan in my neighborhood. And maybe one of them becomes a Christian, maybe other ones move away, but somehow great impact for God is made there because one person decides, I'm going to care about my neighbor's souls and I'm going to share good fruit with them. Or someone is a part of a church for 30 years and could be longer, could be shorter, but they go through that 30 years of being a part of the church, 
of one that always has good things to say that encourages and lifts other people up day in, day out. They're never part of of negative conflict with other people, but they continue to bring good fruit to the people around them quietly in their own way. That's great. That's good fruit. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Or someone who um, who is going to school. How many of you are still in school? Some, some way or another? Sure, lots of us. Kids, here you are. Those of us that are older in school as well, or working, whatever the situation may be. You go to school, and some of your friends are are bullying somebody else. They are saying ugly stuff. They're saying all sorts of things that are degrading and, and, and terrible. And, and you just choose not to be a part of that. Or someone tells a joke that is off color, and instead of laughing at it with the rest of your friends, you just, say, you just change the subject and move on. You don't pull this righteous indignation type of thing, but you just say, that's not my thing. And I think one of the greatest, uh, there was a young person here a while back that, that told me that uh, they said, I was kind of feeling like I was being left out because people were going to parties and going to people's houses. And I asked one of my friends, I said, why don't you invite me? I said, we, won't, we don't invite you because we know that what we're doing there, you wouldn't want to participate in it. It's not who you are. I think that's one of the greatest compliments that can be given to a young person. Or what about this? A person just decides, I'm going to walk through life with joy and peace. In spite of the circumstances, no matter how much may be going on around me, I'm going to make the decision that I'm going to be a person of joy and peace because that's what Jesus tells me to be. And I'm going to walk through life that way. Nothing fancy, nothing uh, nothing uh, um, sparkly, but just saying, I'm going to do this. No matter what sickness may come, no matter what family crisis may come, I'm going to walk through life with joy and peace. Or I'm going to reach out to a new person that I see in my neighborhood or in the community, in the church, whatever it may be. I'm going to reach out to the people around me that are new and help them know that they're welcome, that they're loved, that, they're, um, that, that I'm a one that, that really wants to know who they are genuinely. Or when I wake up in the morning, when I go to school or I go to work, I'm going to do the absolute best job I can today, no matter what circumstances may come my direction. The soccer teams I coach, there's two rules that we have, and we go through them both on the first day of practice, every, every time. First is, pursue excellence in everything. Let's do your best in everything. It's what Scripture tells us. And second is, treat others the way you want to be treated. In all those things, we go through life, that way, that's showing we're going to produce good fruit. Or embrace Scripture and say, and no matter what Scripture says, no matter how painful it might be, no matter how uncomfortable it might be at the moment, I'm going to let Scripture talk to me. And just like Hebrews says, it's a double-edged sword, cuts deep. I'm going to allow Scripture to cut on me to be the person that I need to be. I'm not going to look at Scripture and just say, ha, I know someone that needs to read this. But I'm going to look at Scripture and say, wow, how does this transform me and what can I look like to be more like this? That's producing good fruit. And so that's for the message that Jesus wants us to get, I think, from all of this, is that, remember, he's not talking to people that are unbelievers here. He's talking to people that thought they were just fine with God. But thinking we're just fine with God and just leaving it at that does not demonstrate a life of faith and a life of being a disciple because God asks something more of us. He's asking us to 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so that's something that all of us can, can look through every day, is look through and reflect on, is there something that I'm done that I'm unrepentant of? Because if there is, then that means that I'm not going to produce much fruit in keeping with righteousness. And so, first of all, every one of us can choose to be a person of repentance. That I am going to run from evil, I'm going to run towards God, and I'm going to be open book, I'm going to be transparent with that. And number two is wake up every day saying, I'm going to be one that produces some sort of spiritual fruit today somehow. I don't know what it is. It may seem inconsequential. It may seem small. But in some way, some form or fashion, I'm going to produce some great fruit today. Some great blessings for other people that help them look to Jesus. And boy, all of us do that day in, day out. <laughs> Hang on. God's going to work in amazing ways and continue to work in amazing ways through us. If you'd like to become a Christian or you like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders are, are waiting back there to pray with you and to walk with you through whatever you may be going through in life. Let's stand and sing together. Cody, come on down.